Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. I'm so, so honored to be speaking tonight, sharing the word, and um, I just believe that it's going to be on time. Amen? Amen. So, I, Pastor Mark was doing a series on intimacy, which I don't think he actually ever finished. He didn't say he was done with it. Last week, he talked about covenant, and that was so good. If you haven't, if you weren't here for last week's service, I think it's up on iTunes and Spotify. Chris is nodding. It's up. So um, go check that out. But tonight, I wanted to share on building intimacy with God through gratitude. And so we're going to start in Luke 17 in the New King James Version, and in verse 11, it says, Now it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then, as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to him, said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest." And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So fun fact, this encounter, we know it's written by Luke because it's in the book of Luke. That's not the fun fact. The fun fact is that Luke is the only known Gentile writer of scripture. All the other writers of scripture that we know of were Jews. So he has a unique perspective because he was grafted in like all of us. And um, I just think that's interesting. I love the Bible. I love fun facts about the Bible. So I sprinkle them in because I, when I hear a message and get a fun fact, I'm like, so interesting. I'm so happy to know that now. So now you, Luke, only Gentile writer of scripture, the only known one. So I've always read verse 14 and I don't know about you, but I've always read when Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest and thought, oh, that was nice. Jesus said something nice to them. He, he told them what to do. Like he gave them a step of faith. But I recently found out that go show yourself to the priest was the standard rabbi response. It's what lepers were supposed to do. It's what Moses would have told lepers. Okay, you're a leper, go show yourself to the priest, right? So it was the standard Jewish response to lepers, go show yourself to the priest. So when these 10 lepers came to Jesus and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us, Jesus didn't say anything special to them. He didn't tell them anything they hadn't heard before, right? And I can imagine they would be disappointed. Couldn't you, couldn't you imagine if you ran, you're hopeful, it's like you're, you know, Hail Mary shot, shot in the dark, Master, have mercy on us. And he just says the same thing you've been told by every Jewish rabbi. Go show yourself to the priest. Can you imagine the disappointment? But they didn't say Oh no, we've already done that. They didn't say we've are of course we we've done that before. Can you lay hands on us? Just speak the word. What did they do? They turned and they went. 
even in their disappointment, which I'm sure it doesn't say they were disappointed, but we can imagine they were, they obeyed. They turned and they went. And it was as they turned, as they went, they were healed, right? And this is a side part. It's not about gratitude, but what is God telling you to do right now? It might seem simple. It might seem redundant. I already know that. I've already done that. I've been doing that. And you might, want to, you might be disappointed. You think you should be doing something bigger than that right now. But obey. Obey. They were healed as they went. They got the same answer they had gotten before from everyone who wasn't Jesus. And it was in their obedience. It was in their turning and going that they were made whole. The other thing that Luke highlights in this scripture, that the one person who did come back, he was a Samaritan. And he didn't have to throw that in there, but he did. And so after Israel split into two kingdoms, so we know King David, he was great, right? And then his son Solomon, super wise, right? He had a lot of wisdom and a lot of wives, right? A lot of wisdom and a lot of wives. He didn't have a lot of wisdom with the ladies. So Solomon had so many wives and so many heirs that uh, it got hairy. The line of succession got hairy. So then they couldn't decide who was going to be the next king. So Israel split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, right? Interesting. We love the Bible. The Bible is so interesting. So when Israel split shortly after, the northern kingdom was made up of nine of the 12 tribes, majority, right? And they get completely obliterated by the Assyrians. They come in, they wipe them out, they kill every male over the age of 12. And then the Assyrian warriors take the Jewish women as their wives, not because they were so beautiful, not because they were so desirable, but because they wanted to pollute the Jewish bloodline. So what came out of those Assyrians and the Jewish women were Samaritans. And Samaritans, because of this history, were hated by Jews. We know that. They were despised by Jews. It actually, they were considered unclean just because they were Samaritans. Um, If a Jewish person touched a Samaritan, they were unclean. Uh, Jewish people couldn't have Samaritans inside their homes. It was against the law. The Jewish law that they made up, not God's law. God's law didn't have anything about Samaritans, and it did it. Which is why when Jesus was at the pool of Bethesda, and he sat down and talked to the Samaritan woman, and then he asked her for a drink, everyone made such a big deal. They lost their minds because he took a drink from her. He's unclean now, based on our law. But Jesus wasn't following our law. Jesus was following what he heard the Father say do, right? And I think God was showing these people, these laws that you made up, These people that you're excluding, that's not my heart. That's not what I would do. I'm I'm taking water from all of them. So I think Luke is highlighting that the one who came back was a Samaritan to show that he had a double whammy. We know that lepers were outcasts. It's a highly contagious disease. They couldn't be a part of the community, right? When anyone would even, they couldn't brush their hair. So you could tell from a far away place that they were lepers. And if you did happen to get close, they would, you would have to yell, unclean, unclean, right? So they didn't have any community. They were outcasts. But this guy, not only was he a leper, he was a Samaritan. So the Jews hated him just for who he was. They hated him just because of his DNA. And that shows me 
that it doesn't matter how hurt you've been. It doesn't matter how knocked down you've been. It doesn't matter how despised and mistreated. You can still have a capacity for gratitude. Everything can be going wrong. You could have been the worst of the worst, but there's still a capacity for gratitude in our hearts. And the other thing that this story shows me is that God expects it. Jesus says he only said what he heard the father say. He only did what he saw the father do. And Jesus said, where are the nine others? This is the only one who comes back to give thanks and glorify God. And so God expects our gratitude. No matter what we've been through, we can have a capacity for it. And God expects it. Psalms 100 verse 1 says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praises. What are we supposed to enter his gates with? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. And into his courts with praises. That's how we're supposed to come before him. Be thankful to him. I love that's how Robert started out the service, and he does so many times, just with a thankful heart. Be thankful to him and bless his name. He's worthy, isn't he? For the Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Amen? Amen. Let's just lift up the name of God right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Oh, you're worthy, God. We exalt you, and we thank you, God. We thank you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, in ordinary life, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give and that it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. And you know, we receive so much more from God than we give. And I know we know that, but it can feel like, gosh, I'm doing so much work for the Lord. I'm working, I'm doing all this, these things. And, and we can get so focused and caught up with what we're doing that we don't even realize how much he's doing, not just spiritually. Yes, like we saying, Christ is enough. Jesus coming was enough. Us being saved and going to heaven is enough. But he's doing so much more than even that. Naturally, every day in our life, He's helping us. He's doing hundreds of things for us throughout the day, and we might notice a couple of them, right? He's moving. You may not think of God as a helper. And, um, you know, we think of him as Lord. We think of him as Savior. You might not think of him as helper. You know, we think of the Holy Spirit. He's our helper, right? But God is a helper. And I'm going to read to you Hebrews 4.15. This is in the um, Amplified because I like it. I like the extra words. Um, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weakness and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need. Appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. 
in 2014, I just felt like I had a lot going on and it was more than I can handle. Just every day it was something, something to do, something to do, something to do. And like, I just couldn't keep up. Has anybody ever felt that way? Like, I can't, I can't do it. I'm spread too thin. Like Kimberly, you're very, very, very busy, right? And it was a season like that. And I read this verse and it just jumped out at me. Grace to help. There's grace to help. So come boldly to the throne and get grace to help. So I started saying, God is helping me every day in every way. God is helping me every day in every way. And I started to look for good things that were happening in my life. I remember um, a coworker text and it was like, my dog got out. You guys, please look around town. If you're driving around town, look for him. And I said, God, please help help us find this dog because I don't want to be looking for him all day and I don't want to get texts in the group chat all day, please. And like within minutes, within minutes, he's like, somebody found him and text me. And I said, Grace, God's grace is helping me every day. I asked and he's helping me. And I just began to see things when I would call. I worked in an office. I'd call a phone company and I wouldn't be on hold for 45 minutes. Somebody just answered right away. And I said, grace, God's grace is helping me. It's at work in my life. You know, God cares about the things that concern us. We believe that he's sovereign. Sovereign. We believe that he has a plan for our lives. Then why wouldn't we believe that he's at work in every part of our lives? He's at work in every part of our day. He's helping us. And we can, we can say every good thing comes from God, doesn't it? It says it in James, right? One, I'm going to start in 16. James 1.16 says, So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters, For whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Every good and perfect gift. Who does it come from? It comes from God. Charles Spurgeon said, Those do not glorify God as God who do not trace all their good things to God. When we don't trace all our good things to God, we're not recognizing him as God in our lives. He's bigger than us. He's doing more than we think. Somebody say he's doing more than I think. He's doing more than I think. And we need to recognize he's the creator of the universe. You go outside and it feels good. It's good weather. Thank God. Thank you, God, for this good weather. Thank you, God, for the beautiful sun shining. You made that. Your favorite flower, he made that. Your favorite food, he made the person who made that, (laughs) right? Every good thing, every good thing. The medicine that's helping your kid, I guarantee you it's from God. If it's a good thing, it's from God. And we can glorify him and thank him for that if we just, if we, are intentional about noticing. It's so easy to just get used to it, like all the things, it just feels normal. But you getting somewhere safely, that's the protection of the Lord. Your kids growing and learning and developing, that's the blessing of the Lord. Amen. 
If we will trace every good thing back to God, we'll give him the thanks that he deserves. And we'll begin to see just how much he's working in our lives. And when we see just how much he's working in our lives, our eyes are gonna be opened. We're gonna see he's closer than we think. He's closer than we think. He cares more than you think. He's a part of things more than you think. Growing in intimacy, well, I'll start it like this. Growing in gratitude will help us grow in intimacy and growing in intimacy helps us grow in faith. Why? Bill Johnson says that faith is friendship with God because the more you know someone, the easier it is to trust them, right? The closer you are to someone, the more you know their intentions for you are only good, right? The the closer we are to God, the easier it is to trust him. And the more we see him at work in our lives in all the little things, the more we take time to intentionally look at all the little things, the easier it'll be to trust him when a big thing comes up. Because God, I've seen you. You've helped me here. You've helped me here. Of course, you're going to help me now. Of course, you're going to be there for me now. You've been there for me all along in all these little things, helping me get to the right job at the right time, helping me answer the phone, you know, when when it's the my family member on the line who needs to talk or putting that person on my heart, you know, all these little things. And we think, well, that was just me. You know, um, I spoke at a chapel service for, I think it was sixth grade and up. And um, I had this like very moving, inspirational message, if I do say so myself, <laughs> planned out. It was gonna be really, you know, just like, I don't know. I felt, I felt very good about it. I'm like, this is gonna be really good. The kids are gonna love this. And um, about a week or so before, I really felt like I needed to teach on sanctification and justification. And it was not moving. (laughs) It was uh, basically like a word study. It was a lesson. And like, you know, what kids love is more school um, during the chapel time. So, but I mean, it it was anointed and I knew it was what I needed to do. But I just basically talked about justification, what it means, sanctification, and just like the surety of our salvation, right? And I mean, yeah, kids were yawning and some eyes were glazed over. But it was fine. I prayed. I wrapped it up. And I knew I had done what I was supposed to do. Well, after one of the teachers who I hadn't met before came up to me and she's like, thank you so much for teaching on that. She said, Um, I get a lot of my theology from my sister because I just felt like she went to church more and maybe knew more. And I've always questioned whether or not I was saved. And um, she was like, that really helped me. Thank you. I've always wondered what those meant. So I believe God changed my plans. Maybe at the expense of those kids, I believe they got something. But for that lady, he wanted her to know, know that she knows. Amen. Amen. So if we believe in the sovereignty of God, then even when our plans get interrupted, we can thank God. When the unexpected happens, we can know that he's going to work it out for our good and his glory. Amen. So that is easier said than done because you did everything right. You got to the airport on time and your flight is canceled. Hmm. So God, you must have something for me to do here. There must be a reason for me to be here. There must be a reason for me to not be on that plane because I did everything right and I'm not. So I, instead of grumbling, 
instead of getting mad, instead of closing myself up and getting an attitude, I'm going to be expectant. I'm ready. I'm here. I'm available. What is it that you have me to do here? Because I believe that you have a plan for my life, and I know I've submitted to it, and I know I'm doing all that I can to be a good steward of my time. So I'm here for a reason. Amen? That's what that looks like. Not getting on Facebook. Can you believe it, Delta Airlines? We were here on time and our tickets were in order. And they sent us whatever. You know? I mean, that's what we want to do. But if we believe in the sovereignty of God and we have a heart focused on gratitude, we'll make a different choice, right? If we take plans that change and unexpected things in stride, instead of getting bent out of shape, we can leave our hearts open for God to move through us and for God to work. And even in bad things that we know aren't from God, I know this isn't you, God. I know this is the devil. I know like sickness and disease. I know this isn't from you. We can know and believe that he's working that out for our good. And we can thank him for the way he's gonna work it out. God, I know this isn't from you, but and I know that you're good, and I know that you're gonna work it out for my good. So I just thank you for the open doors that are coming. I thank you for the guidance that you're giving me, and I submit to your will, Father. Help me to walk it out. Help me to do what you're calling me to do, and listen, if we, if we can keep our hearts thankful, if we can keep our hearts expectant and open, then we can stay in tune to God. But we know that God doesn't like grumbling and complaining. I mean, in the Old Testament, those people got in some big trouble. Talking about the ground opening up. Of course, he was like raining down food from heaven and they were complaining it wasn't enough meat. But you know what I'm saying? God does not like complaining. Annie Durant says, she said this, I was at a message. She's also a Rayma grad. I don't know, has anyone ever heard Annie Durant? She's really good anybody sees her about. Um, but she, I was at a, a church last year and she spoke and she said this and I loved it. She said, holding weight, anybody in here lift weights? Nobody's going to raise their hand, but some of you do. <laughs> um, holding weight doesn't build your muscle. Resisting it builds your muscle. Going through trial doesn't build your faith. Resisting the urge to give up resisting the urge to complain. That's what builds your faith. Not going through the trial. We don't need to thank God for the trial, but we can resist the urge to give up. We can resist the urge to doubt. We can resist the urge to complain. And that's what's gonna build our faith. What does grumbling and complaining imply? This is why God doesn't like it. He doesn't like it because of what it implies. It implies you're not good enough. You're not taking good enough care of me right? The God of the universe. You're saying, you're not taking good enough care of me. It says, you're not, I don't trust that you'll work it out. I don't trust you that you're at work in this situation, that you're at work in my life. That's what grumbling and complaining says. And so we can understand why God doesn't like it. We can understand why it could be offensive to him. But even more than that, the Bible says that grumbling and complaining is bad for you. It's bad for your body. You know, God never does anything just for himself. Every rule, every law, every boundary he's put in place for us in the word is for our good and our safety. Just like as parents, we're not just trying to not let our kids have any fun. 
We're like, no, you can't swing off the top of the house onto the trampoline and into a kiddie pool. It's not safe, right? Um, thankfully, my kids aren't old enough to do that, but and they hopefully they never have that idea. Um, <laughs> but in Proverbs seventeen twenty two, um, the New King James Version says, "A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones." I like the message um, even more. It says. A cheerful disposition is good for your health, but gloom and doom dry, wait, leaves you bone tired. Gloom and doom leaves you bone tired. It's actually, you know, science always catches up with God. It agrees, right? And there is, psychology has a new study. It's actually not that new. It's been around, um, but they keep adding to it about how complaining hurts our brains and our bodies, and so I read, I have some notes from it from, um, this is from m1psychology.com, but they quote like a Stanford study and some other studies in here. So complaining is referred to as expressing discontent or resentment, right? We're talking about gratitude. We're talking about intimacy with God, growing our intimacy by growing our gratitude and looking at all the things he's doing in our life and being intentional about saying thank you which means that we're going to have to be intentional about not complaining. So we're going to define complaining for a second. It's expressing discontent or resentment. Does anyone want to guess how many times the average person complains a day? Hands, anybody? Yes? Okay. (laughs) Very high. (laughs) But like, but maybe. Um, These people could be lying, all the people polled. Um, They said 15 to 30. But we don't know how long their complaints are, so you could still be right. They could be going on and on and on. But it says if you asked yourself how many times you complain today, it's probably innumerable because we know the things we don't say out loud. We know when we're doing something like, oh, why me? Why today? (laughs) This is terrible, right? Um, Innumerable, they said. And we don't, what do we say? Why? When we complain to our spouse or to our friends, we're just saying, I just need to get this out. I'll feel better if I get this out, right? Isn't that what we say? I'll feel better if I get this out. But actually, science has proven it's not true. You do not feel better. And you know who else doesn't feel better? The person you just got it out to, right? Um, Because interestingly enough, which I guess I'll get to there. I don't want to. I don't want to skip. This is so interesting to me. But not only, um, yeah, the, it makes our listeners feel worse. Research from Stanford University has found that complaining reduces the size of our hippocampus, which is responsible for memory and problem solving. Oh man, you're complaining about the problem, and the part of your brain that's going to help solve it is getting smaller. This is bad. <laughs> We're working against ourselves here, people. It says that the study found that engaging in complaining or simply hearing someone complain, simply hearing someone complain for more than 30 minutes could physically damage our brains. Great. Well, great. (laughs) Um, The more frequently you complain, you increase your likelihood of thinking negative thoughts later because... Your brain, and I explain this to my little four-year-old this way, so I'm going to do it. Your brain builds bridges, right? What does it say? It's synapses that, what is it? Fire together, wire together. So your 
your brain builds bridges. The more times you do something, your brain is building bridges so that so you can do it faster and better. So when you practice something over and over again, it becomes like second nature, right? So the bridges that you use, the things you continue to do over and over, they get stronger, right? And they come up more. You can do them like, you know, not even thinking about it. But the bridges that you stop using, they get weaker and eventually they'll crumble. That's why some people can't remember algebra two, right? U.S. history, it's vague. I never built a bridge that strong. Well, my, I like U.S. history, but, but you know what I'm saying, right? Things are, those bridges that we don't use every day, they get weaker when we don't use them. So when we have these negative thoughts over and over, when we get into a habit of complaining over and over, we're building a strong bridge. So I told my son, he's four, and he's not like complaining more than average or anything, but I read this about bridges, and I was like, wow, I need to get on this. So I started telling him, I said, okay, you don't want to go to bed. That's okay. But if we're going to have a complaining thought to build our complaining bridge, then I need you to have a happy thought or a grateful thought. So you can say, I don't want to go to bed, and I'm happy I have a warm bed to sleep in. Or I don't want this for dinner, and I'm happy that we get to have a cookie for dessert, like something. We're going to work on both bridges here, okay? And so I think that's something for us too. We might have some legitimate thing to be very upset about, right? But we can add something with it. We don't need to be only strengthening our complaining bridges in our brain. We need to say, this really stinks. I was late for work and I'm glad I have this job, or, and my boss was understanding. There's a, there's a happy, there's an aspect of gratitude, because, so this is what we were saying earlier, um, once you have a thought, it's much easier for you to have that thought again, which isn't great news for pessimists. Not only are you more likely to have negative thoughts, but you're more likely to randomly experience negative thoughts while you're just going about your day man, I'm just trying to do the dishes. I'm not trying to get mad. Like, right? Once uh, it says it also is interesting that it appears who we hang out with makes a difference. Hanging out with people who frequently complain can be just as destructive as complaining yourself. Why? Because our brains are wired to imagine, to imagine what others are experiencing, Right? When we see someone experiencing anger or sadness, our brains try that feeling out. It's how it helps us to empathize. That's how we empathize with people. We feel their pain. Anybody ever cried watching a Hallmark movie? Like, no. <laughs> Maybe not Hallmark, but man, like my, that part of my brain works really well because I empathize. I'm just like, oh, Chris, like, what's wrong? Like, it's so sad. They're not real people. It's so sad, right? Our brain, so when we, that doesn't mean we ditch our friends that are going through something, right? Negatives say, yeah, that is terrible. I hate that that's happening to you, but God's good. And I know something good's going to come up, come through. Like we need to create those positive bridges for them. We can still be there for people, but also when it starts going on and on, if it's getting close to the 30 minute mark, you're like, listen, I'm, my brain's at risk here. We're going to have to wrap this up. Like, I, I love you. I'll talk to you later. You know, I mean, I'm joking. We'll be there for our people, but we'll be positive, right? Um, besides our brain, 
The other thing that happens when we complain is that the hormone cortisol, I'm almost done. This is the end, just so you guys know. The hormone cortisol is released into the body. And um, cortisol is what's responsible for our fight or flight response. So when our fight or flight response is activated, our brain redirects blood, oxygen, and energy away from non-essential systems. So repeated complaining. Has anyone ever, I've done this. I will get home tell Chris a story about something, like complain, about something that had happened during the day, tell him the story, and I'm mad all over again. Like the rage has built back up. And he's like, he's just ready to have dinner now. He's heard my story, but now I'm mad. And it's like, I'm just going to have to wait for this to all come back down (laughs) because it does. When we complain, we're reliving it. Our brain is signaling the same emotions that we felt in the moment. The same hormones that were released are coming back and we're getting mad all over again. For what? To complain, to hurt your husband's brain too. And that says that when this happens, this Cortisol in higher levels in your body puts us more at risk of developing heart disease, high cholesterol, diabetes, obesity, and strokes from having high cortisol, from choosing complaining over gratitude, right? Um, so, you know, we might not be overweight. We might just be complaining too much. No, I'm just I don't know. It could be a mixture. One study published in the Archives of General Psychiatry found that on average, optimists, you know every believer should be an optimist. We're Christians. We should be optimists. We should have a hope. We should have something to look forward to, right? If you're a Christian and a pessimist, we need to get down at the altar and get delivered because you have the mind of Christ now and you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we need to... Get some things shaken out and shaken out. But good news for you, because we're Christians, optimists were found to have a 55% lower risk of death across all causes. You're 55% lower risk of death across all causes. And we're 23% less likely to die of heart disease. Interesting. So not only is intentional gratitude and thanksgiving going to bring us closer to God, right? We're going to see him at work in our lives more and more. It's going to make your home a better place to live. It's going to make your workplace a better place to be. When you're constantly bringing up words of thanksgiving and gratitude towards your spouse, in every situation that comes up towards your kids, we're not nagging. We're not complaining. We're not focusing on the bad. We're highlighting the good. And when we do that, all of our environments are going to change. And not only... Are we going to see God more at work in our life? We're going to have a more peaceful home. We're going to have a more peaceful and productive workplace. We're going to be healthier. This is like a, a whole huge thing that's affecting our lives in a big way. John MacArthur says, no matter how choppy the seas become, a believer's heart is buoyed by constant praise and gratefulness to the Lord. Amen? Amen. So I encourage you this week, I'm challenging you to be intentional. Whether you say what I say, God's helping me every day in every way. But to be intentional about looking the good things, every good thing comes from you. And I'm going to thank you for it. He expects it. 
He expects our thanksgiving. He expects our gratitude. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for these beautiful kids. Thank you for this beautiful home. Thank you for this job that provides for me. Thank you for this opportunity that you've given me. Thank you for the safety that I live in. The more we practice this intentional gratitude, I guarantee it, the closer we're gonna feel to God and the more we'll see him at work in our lives. Amen? All right, let me pray for you. Thank you, Father, for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for every single person in this room. I thank you, God, for the plan that you have for their lives. I pray, Father, that this week they will see you at work in their lives like they never have before. I I thank you that the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened. They'll know, they'll see, they'll understand how important to you they are and how at work in their lives you are. I thank you, Father, just for your blessing to be upon them and their households as they go in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.